Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Hello and welcome to this podcast today where I get to chat with my special guest, Stacy. Before we get into that interview, I thought I'd give a little what's been going on update. It's been a busy last month, a busy few weeks with a lot of births as I've shared, and it's feeling really nice to be on the other side of that. Not only is it quiet, not only am I off call, but I'm really, really grateful for the experiences of the last month in particular. I've learned so much. It's really mind-blowing how you can do something for X number of years and still be in a place where you feel like in a lot of ways, you know nothing. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm feeling like there is a lot to explore. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot of new things that have come to my attention that I want to take deeper. And so you'll kind of get to do that alongside of me if you listen to this podcast. Today is a great example. And within the next month, I have several interviews planned where I'm going to interview some folks outside of the birth world, and I think at least one birth story in there. So it should be really, really fun. I hope it's educational, inspirational, and I'm super excited. I'm excited about today and my chat with Stacy, and I'm excited about these interviews to come because as many of you know, if you've been listening for a long time, it's really quite rare that I'll have someone on. I would rather podcast by myself most of the time, but if there's someone, if there's a topic that's just really feeling resonant, really feeling urgent or like I want to connect with the person and the topic, I love having people on. I really, really do. It's a great way for me to learn. It's a great way to build collaborative relationships. And I feel like it's so rare and special People email all the time, Margot and I both, uh, to invite themselves on, if you can believe that. That happens all of the time. Sometimes people have a book or, you know, maybe they even have an agent or someone that's trying to get them booked on people's podcasts. And I generally don't even respond to that. I really, really only have people on that I feel like are in the absolute best interest of those of you that listen, as well as my own learning and the women I serve. So Stacy is a great example of that today, and I'm going to just read a short bio before we get into all this. Assuming I can pull it up on my computer, I'm having a, a technology challenging day here. Okay, Stacy Ramsauer is a full spectrum doula, an Ayurvedic lifestyle coach, somatic sex educator, and holistic pelvic care practitioner. She supports women in unraveling stories of shame and voicelessness through the transformation of motherhood. Stacy is currently pursuing a doctorate in clinical psychology. She lives in Tucson, Arizona with her husband and two kids. 
Ah, well, I met Stacy. let's see, I want to say three or four years ago in Sedona. I was blessed with her presence as a newly first-time pregnant mom at one of my free workshops. And I remember meeting her, obviously. I remember her energy in the room, even though she was someone that was new to me. I could tell she had so much wisdom and things to offer around women's health and wellness. And that's only gotten deeper uh, from my perspective as I've held space from afar for Stacy to welcome both of her children at home. It's been such a blessing to have Stacy as a friend, and I'm really foreseeing some cool collaborations to come with her um, around the topic that we'll share today and some that we'll get to in the future. So enjoy this interview, check out Stacy's links, and have a great week. I am so excited to have Stacy here today and a bunch of really cool episodes coming up. But this one has happened kind of impromptu. We didn't really plan to get together, but like all timing, it's absolutely divine. And just sharing a quick story before we start, because it usually helps, I think, to know where the podcast idea comes from sometimes. So a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking and feeling and all of the things we do about birth and specifically interested in hearing other women's experiences around sexual energy at birth. And so I posted on our Indie Birth Social. For those of you that don't know, that's a free platform that anybody can join. So if you're not there, actually, you totally should be if you're a regular podcast listener. And that's social.indiebirth.org. But anyway, I had posted there, you know, just asking other women if they noticed in their own birth experiences how sexual energy and being open to that influenced the birth itself and maybe even the outcome. And I'm not quite sure I was super clear on the question, but I'm sure we'll get into all subtopics today. Um, I actually wasn't really over concerned with the partner and the sexual energy. So some people took it that way and they kind of went down that route. But I was just more interested in our own sexuality and like how we open to ourselves and how birth is influenced by that. And I know it is. And a lot of women responded. And I thought, what am I doing posting this here? I need to talk to someone that I think is an expert in this topic. And I can't believe we've never talked about this together. Um, so I just want to like kind of give it to you and see where you start to take this. I love this topic so much. And I'm so excited to be talking about it with you, Marin. I so after attending my first birth as a doula, I thought I was going to be a midwife. I was like, I have to do this all the time. I have to catch babies. This is what I'm going to do with my life. And then I started. So I was assisting, essentially. I was like, not the primary doula. And from that experience, I went to, um, you know, soliciting my own clients. And I started interviewing couples. And I was like, hold the phone stop everything. I have to be a sex therapist. I am going to be a professional sex therapist. We have got to do something about this. And it wasn't, um, 
I realize when I talk about it, like it's, we'll get into all the nuance of it, but something that was just so very clear was that there was not awareness about how our sexuality plays such a huge, important role in this process, both pregnancy and birth, and arguably even postpartum and coming into motherhood. And some of that I think is, um, it does relate to self-awareness. Like I, I think sex and sexuality are separate things. Sexuality is part of being in a body period. There's no getting away from sexuality. Sexuality is that driving desire to know through your body sensually. It's taste, it's smell, it's touch, it's primary and primal. And so right there, like maybe that's the whole podcast, like obviously it's related to birth, but the sexual energy I think has a lot to do with um, arousal and it's arousal of our nervous system, which is part of that animal experience of birthing. You know, there's highs and there's lows and you have to adapt to what can be a very overwhelming experience. And if you don't have a relationship to your sexuality that is free, I can see and have seen how there's just kind of this top down, maybe even subconscious overriding that happens around moving and expressing freely, right? Like it's moving your pelvis, it's roaring your sounds into the world. It's asking for something different, whether it's support or people to get out. Like sexuality also plays into knowing what we want or being willing to explore. And so mm -hmm. I think it's a fundamental piece of the birthing process. And then of course, if we're not connected to that part of ourselves, likely there's a disconnect with our partner. And so that can be a big factor too, or the partner's relationship to their own sexuality and like in quotes, how things go. Like this might be a little bit too big of a leap, but we can, you know, we can bridge the gap but I just remember, and I know this is not an unusual experience. I remember one of the earlier births I attended as a doula, the partner being very clear, pretty explicitly stating, I don't want to see the baby come out. I don't want to see that. I want to remember her, how I remember her. And I, I, it's very difficult for me to not get into a very judgmental, angry place. <laughs> and like this speaks to the way we have constructed sex and sexuality in our culture, um, who it's for, what it's about. And I love that, you know, I love that um, Ina May Gaskin quote where she was like, men think that they're the only ones who have parts that can get really big and then get small. and do that normally and there's no problem. Um, but anyway, that's my initial ramble. I just feel like it's 
man, it's an essential conversation that's happening sort of, but I really think that we could lead more with this invitation to women, your sexuality, your relationship to your sexual body, which is your genitals as a part of your fullness as a human being is going to have an impact on your experience birthing. And it doesn't have to look one way. You know, that's like part of where we're going here, I think. There's not one way to be in right relationship to your sexuality because there are as many ways as there are women on this planet. But are you in right relationship to your primal drive in this human body? Hmm. Wow, that's a beautiful opening and so many things to comment on. I don't even know where to start with that other than, yes, this is needed so much. And I know from my perspective as a midwife, even that we know this, I think we do know this and I've known this in my own birth experiences, but there's still not total comfort in talking about it or addressing it past really obvious things like sexual trauma you know if that's in someone's history it's like all right like like let's go for it I mean I'm not shy about that and I think it makes perfect sense and I've seen how births are really affected by that but here's just kind of like the normal like the normal situation of women relating to their own bodies when maybe they don't relate to their own bodies just regularly, never mind sexually, like they don't even know what it feels like to be in their body. So I think I feel overwhelmed at times, which is why I'm talking to you, like just how to have these conversations or like where to start when it seems like that's the case, right? That people are so disembodied, like at so many different points. Um, and then my little ramble kind of goes somewhere else. And it's like something you said about it looking however it needs to look is such a crucial part and a really cool part of the conversation. I think something like orgasmic birth, like maybe didn't do us any services, you know, like it's cool for women to know that birth can be enjoyable, but also that it, you know, we're not talking about necessarily like having orgasms during birth. We're just talking about being able to follow your body's cues and open to the sensations of this baby coming through. So that's not as exciting, I guess, but, you know, just kind of weaving a bunch more threads in for, for you to take. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up orgasmic birth. Um, I, I do think that is like a prime example of the binary that we've, that we just tend to create, right? Where it either has to be like, <laughs> pardon my language, but like you're coming your face off as you're pushing your baby out, or mm -hmm. you're just like, there's, you know, everything is hidden and like buttoned up. And everyone's experience and expression of sexuality is different, is going to be different, but it's very difficult I think currently at present in our culture to parse out the differences between sexuality and sexual intercourse. 
I think by and large, I feel safe saying most women have an experience of sexuality purely in relationship to another person. Right. As opposed right. to sexuality is something that motivates me to choose how I dress, how I move in the morning, how I, you know, like I'm I'm watching my daughter who's 17 months old just like casually stroke her vulva every yeah. opportunity she gets and <laughs> that's it. That's sexuality. That's not right. sex. That's not masturbation. Right. It's the pleasure of being in my body and it is included in my experience of myself from genitals to eyebrows. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I meant by initially saying that maybe I confused the question because I think it was misunderstood and that could have been me. But I think what you're saying is true. People immediately took it to mean how they relate to their partner or whoever that person is. Right. And I and I didn't mean that. I meant just in your own self, <laughs> bringing that energy and and not needing anyone else for it at all. Like it has nothing to do with who's in the room or, or who's present for the birth necessarily. So I think I think you're right on with that. But then it's going to have a huge impact if your partner, your sexual partner is in the room. Right. It's, you know, my experience of. Well, you know, my sexuality is a driver in how I relate to my husband, right. regardless of what's going on. And I'm, I'm really curious. I'm in a moment. Um, I'm distracted by my cat, who's just so loud. It <laughs> needs to be in on this conversation. So let me close the door on her. <laughs> I wonder um, who that was. I'm really curious. My cat, she's just the loudest thing. My third child, she's the one who wakes me up at night anymore. She's the one doing most of the. <sighs> anyway, I'm focused. I'm in a moment, and this has been a long moment, uh, of exploring my sexuality as it relates to grief, really and the experience in childhood and adolescence of having my desires for my life being diminished and or dismissed so it's it's you know not related to sex at all initially except that then that played out into my behavior with sex mm. for a long time and just sort of um, well, being a little bit untethered from my center. So in, in our, what's the word that I want to use? I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. So let me just come back to my original thread. As we come into our physical bodies, 
sexuality plays a role in this, like, just think about like the biomechanical function of our pelvis. That's how we move towards and move away from. Mm. And that's the energy center of attraction repulsion for all things in life. And there is this like arousal sense. Ooh, that's exciting. I want more of that. Oh, I don't like that. I got to get away from that. And as children, most of us are really steered in a particular direction. No, you can't have that. I can't believe you want that. You don't get to have that. How come you still want that? There's so much shame that gets packed down onto that feeling of pure impulse of attraction. Mm. And most women I talk to believe that there's something they're supposed to do or supposed to want when it comes to sex. And that has its origin in that original just impulse toward, I want to try that out. I want to go over there. Well, look at that. What is that? Oh, could you, you know, rub my back a little bit more? It's just like our pure, soft, animal desire to be in physical form. And if we had more self-trust around that, I think all of us would have radically different and arguably way more satisfying sex lives, mm. <laughs> regardless of how they look, you know, to, you know, to anybody else. Sure. I really resent, I really actually hate the term vanilla in terms of sex, because <laughs> yeah. it, it's like, you know, there's this whole thing where someone has decided like what's good and what's right. hot and what's this or what's that. And like, I don't know. I think vanilla is made of orchids. It's pretty fucking delicious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that defeats the whole purpose, right? If it's about just what brings you pleasure and being able to explore that and ask for that. And that's really enlightening. I feel like in, in context of, you know, children, like you're saying, just that that's it's such a pure, pure thing to go towards what you want and to have that squashed down by the time you're an adult, by the time you're a, you know, of childbearing age, like it's easy to understand how you have no idea about any of it. And it can be, I'm curious about the, you know, for, for whatever reason, well, no, I, I have a very clear reason why I think I have vivid memories of, you know, bathing when I was a child and in my, the bathtub in my mom's bathroom, there was like a handheld thing. And I loved spraying my vulva with that. And my mom like my, I remember I have memories of my mom being like, I know it feels good. Doesn't it? Like there wasn't an ounce of shame. It wasn't like, you need to stop that. I'm going to leave the room. There wasn't any, and it wasn't anything other than like, that was, that remains my example of my mother owning the fact that it feels good to be in this body. And like, mm that is of primary importance because if I don't know what feels really good to me, how am I going to know what feels bad? Or, mm. you know, that empowered me to also know what my mom meant when she told me, you know, in the context of being in a situation that wasn't right. Like if it doesn't feel right, it's not right. 
So if we interrupt our children or one another from knowing fully, like, what is my yes? What does feel good? Then I'm not, how could I also have the power to say, no, I don't want that. It's not that. And that goes into the kind of care we seek out and the kind of support we end up asking for. Like at that most basic level, if we don't know what feels really good and what's possible and what makes us come alive and not that everyone should know this when they're like eight years old, like it's a process and it's very significant to every area of life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's ultimately about being who you really are in the purest sense. Yes. Yes. And I, I want to know, because I've been babbling so much, I'd love to know what what you can share about the experience that that brought up this question for you. Like what you saw. Right. Well, in attending births, it's always wise to not try and predict people's experiences. This I know. But yet, I think just always wanting to know more is where I'm at all of the time, right? It's like, but I want to understand that or... You know, you want to know more so you can help someone else. And I've just noticed, you know, in the last bunch of months, especially, um, and then started reflecting back on years and reflecting on my own births, just this, like these specifics that we're talking about, like from what I know about people and what they've shared and like what their history is and just how they're able to be in the birth process, like are they able to open to it? I mean, is it painful? Like down to like, how long does it take? Or, how, you know, what's their what's their response that I can see, that I can feel? Of course, I'm not in their bodies. Um, and all of these things, like how are they relating to the partner during the birth process and then into mothering? And I just never get tired of trying to find like the right pieces that fit together, you know, so... I think the question initially came from an experience where I know this woman wanted something really different. And I just started really trying, you know, in my own mind and then in conversation with her trying to figure out like where this missing piece was. Because for most women that are just like normal, healthy women, you know, it it doesn't always make sense when things are just so completely different than they thought. And yes, we have the baby doing what they do and all the mystery and yes, yes, yes. But anyway, I really had felt like I kind of isolated it for me somewhere in this realm that we're talking about, you know, and maybe not even more specific than that. Just feeling like it's something I want to be more aware of and I want to help women address or, you know, send them to you. Like all of that would be really great. Yeah. I'm so I wonder 
about the nuance in the conversation because I have kind of a split world in some ways. Like when I think specifically about this conversation, I'm a trained somatic sex educator. And so I have a community of people where it's like the conversations go as deep as you can imagine. And also coming from like a therapeutic perspective. So there's this very curious and open and nurturing, encouraging kind of attitude around all of it about just finding your edges and finding what's interesting to your body and your experience of pleasure, like just pleasure. So being here, like lightly touching my own fingers to also then being in an erotic scenario and where, you know, everything is on the table for discussion and exploration. But I think there's also a misunderstanding that it always relates to sexual intercourse. And so like, there's this real, it comes back to that point of like, I feel like in that conversation, the real crux of it is like, who is it for? Right. My experience of my body and these sensations, this expression and this journey somehow has to meet someone else's standards or criteria. And that um, just it's it's such a huge burden on our backs as humans. And I and I think in particular women, although men carry their share of the burden too, in terms of sex and sexuality hangups. Hmm. It's like the other side of my community is like, you know, the book come as you are, which is so excellent and illustrates a lot about the way our brains work and nervous system. And it's sort of like the scientific proof that you can want whatever you want in sex and that's normal. It's like, why do we need this fucking, why do we need a scientist to go into a lab and show you numbers for you to like feel okay wanting what you want? Yeah. How do we, how do we bridge this gap? Because then it is still, it's still like in one's head as opposed to, you know, can you just, can you just get in there and like touch your own body? And a lot of people, you know, myself included, when we go there, is it Elizabeth Davis, this quote, when you touch a woman's body, you touch everything that's ever happened to her there. Mm. So there's Mm. potentially a lot. It's not as simple as like, just go in there and like touch yourself and it's going to be fine. And I think, I think that's a big part of the solution too. (laughs) Right. How do we create enough um, support and safety for that experience of going into our own flesh and just uncovering the stories and, and being, it's this, it's these conversations like this, I hope is really significant for 
for us, for our, you know, one-to-one personal conversation, but also like the work that it supports, it ripples out from this conversation. Yeah, I think I've shared this other places. I can't remember where, but when I did your vulva mapping session, you know, I've, I've talked about that a lot because I had never done anything like that in all my years of studying this and, you know, finding my own ways through my own experiences and births. Um, and that was so beautiful, Stacy. That was something that was so special for me to have you guide me on and, you know, go to some really deep places, things I had forgotten, like, you know, images coming up. And I had a lot of like medical trauma um, earlier in my life. And so, you know, I think like a lot of us, right, we do a pretty good job on some days of coping or, or even just forgetting, like we just don't even remember in our conscious brains that this is in there. And so that's part of it, too. And I wonder just, you know, how many women just have a lot of like fear and trepidation around even like going into their own bodies for those reasons. Um, But, you know, just to be guided by someone like you, and I know you do tons of work like that with people was so valuable. So I'd love to hear more just about about how you help people do stuff like that and ideas you have if you want to share because I know that's just one but it was really really awesome thank you yeah I've been offering that practice more often and I'm aware of the significance of a really solid container for that practice where there's you know plenty of context for what we're doing here and it takes a while to break free of the mental and physical pattern of like getting to an outcome like okay we're going to go in here and we're going to do something we're going to have this result which is the opposite of the practice mm. The most significant experience I had in my somatic sex educator training was saying, no, I don't want to do this. And I left the training and I went home for a day and a half. And my instructor called me up and took me to dinner and was like, it's so wonderful that you found your no. And that is one of the most significant and healing experiences I've ever had in my entire life. I could not believe it. I could not actually believe that it was okay. And even a good thing, like that it meant something about my personal development that I was like, no, I can't do this. Mm. I don't want this right now. Having a boundary. (laughs) to protect my energy to protect my sense like that was huge and that is a huge part of the vulva mapping practice and there's so much just baggage that we all bring to the table that it's also significant you know in order for someone to have a sense of safety to hold images that come up memories that arise and have the 
wherewithal to say, I need to take a break and that's okay, is a big part of what I actually do with women. Like I, when I had a hands-on practice, which I'm getting, I'm getting back to, but I haven't, I haven't really been engaged in that uh, with my two small children. When my practice was primarily hands-on, you know, I would never just do a single session with somebody. There would always be several sessions because the first few needed to include being in physical proximity with one another, giving, you know, engaging the social nervous system, being able to track interpersonal sensation and experience. And I'm not going to do anything to someone without not only their permission, but their invitation. Hmm. And maybe my favorite in, in this, uh, not scenario, but like in the realm of somatic sex education, we're looking for our yes, our no, but also our felt sense of maybe. Hmm. And then I changed my mind. These are our you know, primary go-tos in terms of setting our boundaries and establishing the dynamic. Hmm. And all of it is good. All of it is good. And I think there's um, a lot to be said for the, the reinforcement of that. But just for a moment, bringing it back specifically to the context of birth, because this experience, this rite of passage is so isolated from our day to day, you know, people just don't know about it. They don't see it. They don't talk about it. They don't think about it. Mm. And I, I have the experience of most people just wanting to know, you know, quote unquote, the facts, like, is my baby healthy? Are they measuring right? right? Do I have enough, you know, are my iron levels good? It's like, there's not a lot of time and space given to the nuance of the experience, which is this is going to blast you open and stretch it to your seams and is going to bring up everything that's ever happened in your body, in your mm. psyche. Oh, wow. Potentially, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that's really safe to say, because if not in the moments of birth, then for sure in mothering, I think you hit the nail on the head. You're going to feel everything. And if you have no context for that or no, like you're saying, kind of relationship with yourself, it makes it that much more challenging to even know what's going on or what to do next, especially when you feel like you're in a new body, you know, that's one of the things. So if you don't mind sharing some of your experience, I would love to hear just more from you. Like you've had your pregnancies, your births. How has this work influenced you in your own experiences? Like, are there parts or places you've really felt like that made a huge difference I'm sure it has like I would just love to hear kind of the effects of all of this 
on someone's yeah pregnancies and births and mothering too just in whatever ways you want to share thank you big question i did not love <laughs> i did not love being pregnant the first time well let me back up because this is a significant part of my experience I had a pregnancy loss at 11 weeks. That was my first known pregnancy. Mm. And it ripped me wide open. And it compelled me to dive into very specific realms of study. So that prompted me to study Ayurveda for women's sexual health. That prompted me to become a somatic sex educator, to study innate postpartum care with Rochelle Garcia Saliga. And I did um, intimacy educator training as part of the somatic sex educator training, which includes erotic body work. And that was the experience when I realized this big resounding no, like I had experienced so much overriding of my own personal boundaries over so many years. It was like, I thought I wanted all of this, that I was into it, that I was available. And then I was confronted with it in this moment. And, and this shock of being so overwhelmed and saying no, and then having like complete and total support and nurturing guidance for like owning my boundaries was a huge setup for everything that transpired then in my pregnancies and mothering. So within a few months of that training, I was pregnant again and I didn't love being pregnant. Uh, I had been, you know, a full-time yoga teacher, very active and when I started getting to the point where I couldn't just do whatever I wanted, I was really pissed. <laughs> yeah. so it was good prep work for becoming a mom, right? Um, it was very humbling. And then in my, in my first pregnancy, I knew that I wanted a home birth. We moved to a new city when I was about 18 weeks pregnant. So I had to you know, come to this new city and find who are the midwives here. It was a very long process. I finally settled on somebody, mostly because a friend said she was pretty hands off. And in my mind, I was like, great, she's not going to like mess with my process or tell me what to do. But it turned out that meant she like transfers most women out of her care after you've paid her because she's just like not into it. I think <laughs> that's the hands off part, huh? 38 weeks pregnant. The hands off is like, actually, unless your baby slips out when I'm on my way to your house, I'm not really interested in being your midwife. So I tested positive for GBS and she was like, we need a negative test. At this point I was, you know, I was a doula, but my experience of the tests and everything was sort of like, like, I just never occurred to me that a positive test would mean anything about whether or not I could have a home birth. So, and there's a lot more to that, but 
long story short, um, I took a round of antibiotics in order to get a negative test to please my midwife. I took a round of antibiotics. All I got was a yeast infection. I still tested positive for JBS and she transferred my care to the hospital. I was 40 weeks pregnant. I had to hire a new midwife at 40 weeks pregnant. I had to try to like, you know, get my vaginal flora <laughs> repopulated as quickly as possible. Um, I hired a midwife from Phoenix. I live in Tucson, so it's two hours away. I met her once in person. And I went through a really dark inner process. Uh, but ultimately, I knew I knew that my best option was to birth at home. I knew it with every fiber of my being. And it was, again, a little bit of that experience that I had in my training where there was like shame and part of me wanted to keep reaching out and like ask for permission from my mom, from my husband, from my friend, like just everyone tell me that this is okay and I'm doing the right thing, but it, nobody else could do that. And I kept getting answers I didn't want from people. And I was like, fine, fuck it. I want this. I can do this. I know my body can do this. Hmm. My son was born in nine hours of labor. He was basically born in the call. My bag broke just before his head came out. It's perfectly fine. It was perfectly fine. And we went on our merry way. Mm. And my, I emerged from that experience radically transformed because, because I honored my yes, period. Mm. The healing process from, I just remember it was like so incredible to go through the healing process following his birth and i felt like i healed pretty quickly and i felt kind of restored in terms of my libido coming back and you know my my sex drive came back pretty quickly and i felt good and just sort of slipped right back into my intimate relationship with my husband and nine months later, I was pregnant again. <laughs> and that really threw me for a loop. I was, I sobbed all the way to the CVS to get my pregnancy test. And then it was like, okay, we're doing this. Here we go. My second pregnancy, I was able to enjoy it more, but I was in a lot of pain the whole time because I just didn't have time to get strong again in between my son's birth and getting pregnant again. So it was very different. I had two NSTs, non-stress tests, because a couple of times my midwife was listening for her and her heart rate was just terrifyingly low. And it was a very different experience. Mm. I felt like on edge a lot of the time. 
And I'm not sure to what degree this played a role in it, but her birth was very, very fast. From the moment I was like, oh, I think I'm in labor to her being in my arms was two and a half hours. Mm. And I just felt like I was in complete shock for months. And it's sort of like a blur. I mean, I, she's 17 months and I'm just feeling like some clarity again. And it took, I don't think my husband and I had sex for like five months. Mm. Just no, no desire, no, not, not that there wasn't connection, but I just felt like I was so blown out. My nervous system was so blown out. I was so disconnected. And so that was very different from my first experience and very humbling because I had said the actual words out loud at some point, like, I'm never going to be the woman who doesn't want to have sex after having babies. I was so sure of my sex drive (laughs) and my uh, over-identification with that part of myself. So, I mean, it's really, I think, pretty recent. Well, all of these practices have deepened. And to be the practitioner who goes to another practitioner who, you know, I sought out a somatic sex educator practitioner and a somatic experiencing practitioner to guide me in coming back to my body. Hmm to guide me in coming back to myself and where this training really supported me most is the acknowledgement that this is (laughs) an ever evolving aspect of my humanity that's influenced by so many things. But ultimately in order to reestablish my connection to my body, there were certain things that really needed to change. Like having, for me, having two children was wildly different than having just one. Mm. And there were certain things that I just could not tolerate in my system anymore. Even, you know, it seems simple, but like certain positions in sex, this hurts. I can't do this. Mm the disconnect in my, between my mind and my body, like, oh, but this is how I get there. This is how I get to orgasm. This is how, you know, (laughs) this always feels good. This is the thing I can count on. All of that being rattled and shaken out. Thank God I had tools and people that I knew I could reach out to for a shame-free conversation about what was going on in my body and my heart and my mind. I mean, I just feel like this work has saved my life in so many ways because it has (sighs) strengthened my sense of self-trust and respect for my body and has eliminated this any amount of fixation on like my body has to perform like x in order to be good Mm. or i have to want I, you know, I don't have to want anything. 
I just have to honor what I do want. And then knowing that within myself, the fortification of that aspect of my self-awareness and self-trust obviously transformed my relationship with my husband, not to mention other relationships, but, you know, primarily that primary relationship, um, the communication, I feel so grateful for everything that we went through together. Uh, I was able to communicate, I think, more effectively because of a certain level of self-trust. And also, you know, I have the benefit of a partner who's willing to, you know, we sought out help for our marriage. Say like, we need help holding this together while we navigate these really uncertain waters. Wow. Thanks for sharing all that. It's been the most, uh, just the most significant (laughs) transformation of my life. Mm. Wow. I love so much of that. So, so much. I love how you bring it back to just self-trust and and speaking your truth and knowing what you want. I think, you know, when we started this conversation, people would never imagine in a way, you know, that that's what we're actually talking about. And I love how you've been so humble in sharing your stories. And, you know, even with all your skills and your training and your tools, to just be so transparent with especially the postpartum transformation, you know, and I think so many women find themselves there in every way, just you're shattered, like your physical self feels shattered. And, and I always say to people like, you've got to find the pieces first before you can put them back together. So it's enormous. And, and just hearing, you know, that you did navigate that, I feel like will, will be so hopeful for people. I love that you have to find the pieces first before you put them back together. I love that. (laughs) Well, I'm sure we could talk all day, but do you have some simple suggestions yeah. for women out there that maybe are pregnant, let's say, and they're intrigued by this conversation and they have some light bulbs go off just around a lot of these topics, right? Like um, getting to know yourself, like getting to figure out what you like. Do you just have some like simple tips knowing, of course, yeah. they can seek you out. You know, you're, you're awesome. And I, I think are back to doing sessions, but you know, just, just some simple advice. Definitely the best, simplest tool I think is something called the three minute game. Just Google it, Google three minute game and or Betty Martin. And it's a practice in which 
you learn to communicate to a partner, whether they're your sexual partner or not, you learn to communicate to someone else what you want and how you want it. So it's primarily in the, in the um, utilizing touch, but you literally set a timer for three minutes and determine in your um, you know, dyad who's doing the touching, who's receiving the touching, and you practice giving feedback and and also soliciting feedback if you're the toucher like do you want faster or slower would you like more or less pressure we're in the habit even like a lot of massage therapists are just like is that good do you like it and you're like yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and this is this is an opportunity to get really specific. Like, actually, I don't want to feel your fingernails at all. Could you just use the tips of your fingers and maybe tap a little? And it's three minutes, and this is not a setup for anything else. This is not getting you to making out. This isn't foreplay. This is three minutes to connect through touch, getting exactly what you want. And it's it's awesome. I think it's an awesome way to create that sense of safety if like sex feels overwhelming, particularly, or you're working on communication, both as the listener, as the recipient of the feedback and the person giving it. I think that is a critical skill to cultivate in our relationships because too often I think we like you should just know, you should just, ah, oh, I don't want to have to say it. Or we get really, really messed up when we get feedback, when someone says, actually, I don't like that. Please stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Most of us, especially in a moment of arousal, it can be really disorienting. So it's a, it's a great tool. Number one tool. Wow. That's amazing. I'm going to look that up too. I had no idea. That is very, very useful. And I can totally yeah. see, uh, you know, the obvious, the obvious parallels to life and specifically birth, right? Like being able to voice what you want. I mean, so often I am sort of like astonished by, I don't know, our culture and also, you know, women that are pregnant and birthing, um, how the focus is just always on what they don't want. It's sometimes a real effort to get someone to like turn the camera around and be like, no, not what you don't want. Like, what do you want? And like you're saying, what feels good? And if you've never asked yourself that question, um, that sounds like such a great exercise to do, you know, if you're pregnant before you get into a really, really intimate space of birth and, and postpartum. That is a wonderful suggestion. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How about where people can reach you? I'll, of course, add links, but anything you want to share about what you're currently offering or how you like to work with people, any kind of follow-up there? Yeah. Um, I have really the honor of doing a lot of collaborative work at the moment, Um, and I work primarily in the one-on-one coaching relationship with women. So that could be during pregnancy, postpartum, you don't have to be a mother (laughs) to work with me. I incorporate Ayurveda and somatics uh, in my coaching work with women to 
establish this deep foundational level of self-trust in what they want for themselves and for their life. I find that the postpartum experience or motherhood is, is really my area of passion because it is such a ripe time for healing, healing childhood ancestral wounds and reclaiming power and creativity. And it's also the time when our limits and our boundaries must be respected and honored. It's a very compelling time. Mm. <laughs> so that's what I'm inviting in more of mothers who are looking for that level of transformation. That's beautiful. Thank you. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure that will be useful to so many people. And I just want to say, I love having you in my life. I love your wisdom and the way you have so many talents and, and things that you kind of tie together to really be you. It just is so honestly, Stacy, and I just love it. Thank you for being here. Marin, I love you to the ends of the earth and your friendship has made a huge difference in my life and my experience of birthing and mothering. You've been a tremendous source of strength. So it's mutual. Ah, <laughs> hmm. oh, we're so lucky. It's so true. All right, everybody, thank you for joining me for this conversation. You can check the links and I will make sure to include Stacy's contact info. Uh, thanks for being here and I'll see you soon.